I'm Dana Lloyd. Welcome to Soul Sister Conversations, the podcast, where you will be inspired and empowered to connect more deeply with your authentic self as we explore topics of personal development, leadership, and spirituality. Your journey to your most authentic self starts right now. Today, I speak with Ashton Rodenheiser. She has built a terrific business as a graphic recorder. She uses her experience of starting a creative business to give you the encouragement you need to believe in yourself. She addresses mindset, imposter syndrome, and doing the inner work like forgiveness and accepting rejection. There are so many good nuggets in this episode that you can use in life and business. Ashton Rodenheiser, welcome to Soul Sister Conversations. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm delighted to have this conversation because I think it's going to be a creative one. Um, You are passionate about lifting the creative spirit in everyone that you meet. And for the past seven years, you have followed your passion for helping people communicate their ideas and combine that with creativity by founding Mind's Eye Creative Consulting. And you'll say you often find yourself in markers in hand as you help bring ideas to life through graphic recording and graphic facilitation practices. So first of all, what is graphic recording? What is it that you do before we jump into the, the, you know, your journey of living a creative life? Awesome. Yeah. So as a graphic recorder or a graphic facilitator, I'm really listening into presentations or brainstorms or conversations and, you know, listening, thinking about what I'm hearing, synthesizing that information and turning your words into pictures um, creating visual representations or a visual map of a conversation. Um, most people are visual learners. Most people think in pictures. So it's really about um, almost being like an interpreter, uh, mm. as you would, you know, an actual different language, but instead of putting that into a visual language. And who would hire you? Like, who would use this service? Um, I do a lot of the conference circuit. So I do a lot of conferences where people have, you know, multiple presentations. So I might be creating, you know, eight, nine, 10 or more of these graphics within a day, depending on how many speakers that they have. Um, I think the most I've created in a day was like 15 or something like that. Uh, yeah. Or, you know, companies that are doing, you know, vision or strategic planning where, you know, you have multiple people in a room and you're trying to get, you know, consensus or you're trying to understand what it is that you need to do or how you're moving forward, you know, mission statements. And uh, so there's sort of like the graphic recording side where it's, you know, I'm not necessarily, I- I'm more like the silent observer and listening in and and then reflecting back in pictures But then as a graphic facilitator, I'm a little bit more involved. So those clients would be, you know, that sort of strategic planning or design or Mm. that kind of thing. Yeah. So there's kind of the two worlds. Yeah. And I think I had a guest on here, Diane Diane Wooden, probably in episode 50 something. And, and, And after our conversation, I'm pretty sure it was you that she had submitted Um, the podcast too, and you graphically represented it, which was really cool because when you looked at it in pictures, you could easily remember all the things that we talked about. And it's kind of a neat way to capture the entire conversation. So I can only imagine how helpful that would be uh, of a, a business hiring you and you graphically representing that conversation or conference and then take it back and post it in your boardroom or on your walls and people go, right, we said that was important. (laughs) Absolutely. I love it as a use for accountability 
right? Mm -hmm. So when people hang it up on their walls and it reminds them as they're walking by it every day, you know, when we were more in in offices, but even I always, you know, since COVID, I've done everything online mostly. I've done a few in person, very small jobs, but mostly every I moved everything uh, to record everything digitally and draw on my screen. Um, But yeah, it's just there's sort of that like immediate benefit of being able to see your words unfold and and have them in a tangible way. But there's the longevity piece that I absolutely love. And that's what really sold me on this type of work was the memory retention and that engagement piece beyond an event. You know, how do you keep that information alive? Whereas, you know, I basically over the years have just decided to like never write a report ever again because <laughs> reports just are a bunch of words that get, you know, into a document and gets nobody reads. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, and sometimes I tell these businesses too, is like, you could create this, um, you could take this, you know, most of the time when I'm doing it in person, like they're very large, like four feet wide by eight feet long. Right. So they're very life size and it, it kind of can be a living document where, you know, I tell people, even though I think sometimes people don't do it, I <laughs> encourage people, you know, put sticky notes on it, write on it yourself, you know, allow people to see what you're working on right now. So people can see with their own eyes, like, yes, I said this thing and now it's being implemented. Or, you know, I've had people tell me too, is like, they've used it as a way to also tell people what they're doing, but also as a way to be like, we heard you, but we can't do that or we can't do that right now or that's going to be something we do next mm-hmm. year, right? So, because oftentimes when, you know, especially, you know, people in the workplace are, you come forward with suggestions and then you tell someone and then you never hear about it ever again. Sure. But it's a nice tool to be able to reflect back and say, you know, yes, we're going to move forward with these things, but we can't move forward with these things and this is why. It gives you a, a, yeah, a tool in order to be able to do that. Right. I love that you say it's a living document because, you you know, two things, you know, the accountability piece, which is, you know, when you go to a conference or you have a meeting, there's a lot of ideas that generally come out of it that are get flung around and somebody has to put their name to it if they're going to action it. But I like this idea of also, like you call it a living document, you could put it up on the wall and really have people engage with it. So it's not just this nicety to have or this cool thing we're going to do at our meeting, but a real visual way to uh, remember what we talked about and, and what are we going to do? moving forward. Absolutely. And like, I really work really hard to find my, like the people that I work with and the clients that I work with, you know, obviously they're going to get something that looks nice (laughs) at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. but it's more about me wanting to work with people who care about the learning or the longevity of that information right? So they understand the value and the benefit that that work can help to elevate voices. But if someone just comes to me and says, can you draw a pretty picture? And I feel like they're just looking to like, you know, check a box. I'm not your right person for that because I want to make sure that I work with people who understand and, and care about, you know, people actually learning something at a conference, not just bringing people in and doing the thing and leaving, but they care about the learning. They care about the engagement. They care about making sure that people feel heard, you know, and unfortunately some people don't, you know, like I said, they just want to check the box. They don't necessarily care about those things, but you know, the people that I work with, I'm just being, um, you know, extra communicative about that recently is like, you know, 
that's what I bring to the table. That's what I know best. And I came into this work as a facilitator first. So all those things really allowed me to lead into this work very seamlessly um, because I had some of those skills already around group process and, um, you know, listening and the thinking part. I just had to work on the drawing. <laughs> so were you an artist before you got into this? Like, because that's the one thing, you have a facilitation skills and now you visually represent it. Because I'm looking at, you know, even the document that you ha- had done for Diane for our conversation. I'm thinking, how, you know, it was a podcast you could stop and re-listen and, and replay over something. But when you are doing this live, illustrating what they're talking about, I mean, I'm thinking, how do you keep track of it all? But we can talk about that. But how how did you get into this? Were you an artist? Did you have an interest in drawing in the first place? Yeah, it's an interesting question and probably one of my ones that I get the most. But I've always been creative. I've always been... um, I, I... I've referred to myself as a dabbler. I've tried many different art mediums. I painted for a long time. I I actually, when Etsy first came out a million years ago, I was one of the first, well, maybe not one of the first, but I was like, you know, on Etsy within its like first two years, I think of it actually being a company. And I sold my first painting on Etsy and, um, you know, and then I got into felting. So I was like doing needle felting and stuff. And then I got into encaustic, which is like painting with wax. And I've always, uh, I crochet. I was like such a nerd. I would, I would, uh, I wasn't that popular in high school. I would sit in the library and knit things. I was, and, um, yeah, so I would, I crocheted a lot when I was like 10 and I knit. And so I've tried many different things And, but one of the things I didn't do a whole lot was draw and which is really funny to kind of land in this space of drawing, but I didn't actually draw a whole lot. Um, I painted and did things like that, but I didn't draw a whole lot. So it actually was, um, and it still is a learning curve to develop what I call my visual vocabulary. So when someone says something, I have a picture that I know how to draw, uh, that mm. goes along with it. So, um, yeah, so I've always been very creative and, uh, you know, I've played many different instruments over the years and, uh, but drawing hasn't necessarily been one of them, which is, yeah, interesting. And I've never taken any formal art classes. Um, I took music lessons when I was younger, but I've never really taken a formal art class. So that um, begs the question then, where did you get the confidence to, you weren't drawing, I mean, you were painting, but you weren't drawing to go, okay, I do this facilitation thing. I think I could actually draw pictures that look good, that represent what you're talking about and keep track of it all in a way that'll be meaningful to you. Like, where did you get that idea? How did that? <laughs> yeah, well, so, someone introduced me to the idea of graphic facilitation and I had no idea what that was. And I took a one day graphic fundamentals course and I was completely hooked. And that was back in 2013. And um, I was facilitating a group at the time and I had gotten some big paper and I just threw it, up, threw it up on the wall and just started trying to figure it out. And I think that not allowing myself to hesitate too much or think about it too hard um, allowed me to get over that hurdle because it can be very intimidating approaching a gigantic piece of paper and not knowing what you're going to do with it. Right. And, and I think for me, it was, I'm I'm really glad I had that opportunity um, and had a safe space within that group to be able just to try it out. And by doing so, uh, just sort of build my confidence over time. There's still, it's funny because even though I've been doing this for a while now, 
I still get into a space where sometimes before a, a job, I'm like, do I even know how to do this? <laughs> you know, you second guess yourself sometimes. But for me, it's like, it's, you know, like I said, it referred to earlier as like, it's a language. So just like you would learn a language, the more you practice that language, the more fluent you're going to get. And that's how I kind of see my work. Because mm. how meaningful is it for you to live a creative life? Like you got to earn a living from this. Absolutely. Like, I think for me, I'm always proving to myself that like the starving artist mentality is just bogus. Mm-hmm. And um, I was at a, I was graphic recording a tech conference in uh, back in 2018, I think it was. And there was, um, there was a speaker there. And I remember she was, uh, you know, talking about like the future and, you know, what things are going to be like. And, and, um, you know, from like AI, ML, like artificial intelligence and stuff perspective. And one of the questions that one of the audience members asked said, you know, my, my child's going to be approaching, you know, secondary education here soon. You know, what would you suggest that they take? And she suggested, um, art school. And I was like pleasantly surprised when I was standing there at my paper drawing this out. And, you know, because there's so much around creative thinking and problem solving and those types of skills that companies are looking for that can be um, developed using creativity, using, you know, the trial and error of like trying to paint something and it doesn't go the way that you thought it was going to. So you have to change things up. And any of those types of creative processes. So overall, like I'm pretty, um, you know, if I get a chance to stand on my soapbox, I'm always like preaching about how just doing anything creative can help build those skills that are very transferable in any situation. Hmm. Now you say the idea of a starving artist is bogus, but was there a time when that actually held you back? I'm did you actually sure. believe it might have been bogus or did you oh, always believe you could, you know, oh, live a creative life? I would say absolutely in terms of, you know, if I, if I knew now what, what's the saying, if I knew now what now I knew what, then or something, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I might've went to art school to be honest with you, but I didn't think that it would, you know, it was like always a comment around me. And it was never directed towards me, but it was like, oh, she's going to art school. What's she going to do with that degree? Ha, ha, ha. Like, how is she going to make any money? How is she going to be successful? It was just this, like, it's this, like, undercurrent, unfortunately, in our society of, like, oh, well, they're going to art school. So, like, good luck with that. You know, what a waste of money that is. And, you know, I think for me, I've just worked so hard to change my mindset around, you know, you can be – you can have a creative business and be very successful and you could have a creative business and not be very successful depending on how you think about it. Cause if you think, you know, if you're really passionate and you're creative and let's say you go to art school, uh, you might be like amazingly talented, but you might not necessarily have a successful business. If you still believe that you will always suffer for your art. Right. 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 Yeah. And it's so true because I think, you know, there is this undercurrent that if you're doing something in the arts, there are these little side comments that you hear that you might interpret or take in that make you think that, you know, 
it's the what will other people think of me? Will they think I'm a flake? Will they think I'm a, you know, but I, I'm sure they those people must be laughing now when they see you actually living a life um, uh, where you earn a, you know, a good living um, doing what you love. And you mentioned mindset and you talk about that a lot and you read a lot about mindset. Why is that important to you? How does mindset play into what you do or staying on your creative path? I think for me, because I don't have um, a lot of formal education, that's been, that was a struggle for me, I would say in my early twenties because I didn't, and I didn't want to have a lot of formal education at the time, you know, not to say that wouldn't change in the future, but it definitely was something that really made me feel uncomfortable because it was this, who am I to, you know, have this business or try to be successful when I don't have a lot of formal education. And I think as I went along and trying to do this type of work when I was first starting out, I've never, out of all the years, knock on wood, <laughs> I've never had anybody ask me for my qualifications. Not one person. You know, most times people ask me the question, you know, kind of like you did, you're like, how did you get into this? People want to know my journey. They want to know mm. how in the world did I end up here doing this type of work? But this is pretty neat. Yeah, I, but I've but I've never had anybody say, you know, did you? I have some people who ask me if I went to art school, and I say no, and they're like, wow, like they're just like more impressed. But I've never had someone like decide not to hire me because I don't have any like quote unquote formal education because it's such a odd career that where would you go for formal education <laughs> anyways? Like unless you go to school for illustration, which some people do. And some people in this field, you know, have backgrounds in like comic books and, you know, that kind of thing. And of course the work's beautiful, but I've just always approached it from a communication standpoint rather mm. than an art form standpoint. And I, I said to people over the years too, is, you know, if you dedicated every week, day to doing just this one thing, you'd be really good too. Trust me. Like, I don't feel overly special <laughs> in that sense because it's like whatever you decide to, whatever you focus on expands. So if you're going to focus on drawing basically every day for years, like you'd be really good at it too. So great point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. for, with all your reading and thinking about mindset and using it to help, you know, just encourage yourself um, to pursue these dreams, you know, what have you learned about mindset? I've learned lots of things. And let's say the first thing that comes to mind is that how easily you can sabotage yourself. And I think I did, it was one of the things that surprised me the most when I started building my business around just all those thoughts that come in your head that make you feel like you can't do it which is just, it's crazy. I don't think people who aren't within that, like kind of building a business space, I don't think they realize like that turmoil that you can have on a daily basis of just trying to actually do your work and like reaching out to clients and trying to do the thing and about how easy it is to allow yourself to be sabotaged by yourself. And, you know, from my perspective, it's, you know, you're fighting against the current of 
of uh, artists don't make any money and it's hard and you're fighting against all that, but then you're fighting against yourself constantly. And I've just worked so hard on trying to convince myself (laughs) that (laughs) I can actually do this and I can be successful and I can run a business and be creative and I can do all the things that I want to do. So I think that was like kind of the biggest, like the first biggest lesson a few years ago was that aspect of, you know, you can be your biggest champion or your um, biggest threat when it comes to your success. Mm. And how do you, what, what's in your mindset now that you've, you've had time under your um, belt, you've, um, you've been successful at it. Like you say, you, you, you realize, okay, people aren't asking, did I go to some formal art school? They're, they're looking at the work that you can do. So what is your mindset like now in, well, now that you've been in your business for a while? For me, it's, it's just constant growth and constant, you know, and sometimes I dive more into, you know, business stuff and setting up processes. And sometimes I, I I focus and I spend a lot of time thinking about money and, and doing mindset work around money. And, you know, I try to say things to myself, like, you know, my skills are worthy of high compensation. You know, that would be, you know, one of my little mantras or whatever. And, you know, money is as easy as breathing is another one that I like to say to myself, because for me, you know, and I would say for a lot of people, money is just like, has like a, I don't just like a weird icky aura around it. Right. It's like, you know, and, you know, and I didn't grow up uh, poor by any stance, but we weren't wealthy by any stance mm-hmm. either. And I knew that money was a stress in my family, even though it was unsaid, but, you know, children pick up on that kind of stuff. And it's this, this, um, I always believed that I wouldn't make anything more than $30,000 a year. That was like a thing that I would just tell myself based on my education and my previous work experiences before I started my business. And, um, it's, yeah, I had to work really hard to try to change those beliefs around what I deserve to make, what I can make. Um, so a lot of it comes down to, you know, my worth around how much I deserve to make, you know, and and fighting that, well, who do you think you are kind of mentality, right? right? Like, who do you think you are to have this type of business and make this much money and blah, blah, blah. Um, So it's, I've come definitely a long, long way, but there's still things that come up and memories that come up that I have to you know, uh, that I get triggered by or that I have to clear to move forward, you know, and some of those things. And like, I've done a lot of forgiveness work, you know, forgiving people who, um, you know, I allowed their uh, comments to hold me back or that hurt me around my business or around, uh, you know, when you get like, oh my gosh, that's so expensive, you know, that kind of stuff. Like you can't, right? you know, and I've encountered so much rejection now that I feel a little, there's a really great book that I like called Rejection Proof where the guy goes out and looks for rejection. And um, I've just encountered like the first few times someone said no to me, it was just like heartbreaking. Like you take it very personally, but I get no probably on a daily basis now. And it's, 
it's just so much easier to deal with when you're when you've had practice. It's just sure it's a practice just like anything. It's like you have to practice being rejected to not feel it so hard every time. Right. Or when someone says that you're too expensive, it's like, that's okay. And I feel like I think it's also it's like a mindset thing and it's a time time thing where you you get rejected so many times over a long period of time that you just you're just like you just understand it's like part of the process now. You don't take it so hard. Um, Right. Yeah. You realize it's part of being in business. Yeah. But it's tough when you start. And I find it interesting that you said that you did forgiveness work, you know, as part of your own business journey or your own creative life journey. Um, And forgiveness work looked like letting go or sending love to the people that said those little things or. Yeah. I'm trying to remember the, the statement, but it's, you know, I choose to not allow this pain to hold me back any longer. Right. So it's not necessarily about forgiving somebody. It's a, it's choosing to recognize that this pain is hurting me and I'm going to choose not to allow it to affect me any longer. Mm-hmm. And then also I came to a realization around alignment. And for a long time, I didn't understand really what that word meant. And I had just like an aha a couple of years ago, like, oh, it's okay if someone isn't in alignment with me. It doesn't make them a bad person. It just means they're not my person at this moment to support me in this thing that I need support in. Sure. Right. So it's sort of, it was a bit of, it's a bit of a combination of understanding uh, alignment with, you know, work or other people in your life and understanding there's some people in your life that you really love, but you cannot talk about your business with them. And that's okay. You know, I used to be really, I would get really hurt when I would try to talk about my business with certain people in my life and they were just like not interested. (laughs) And, and I, you know, I just wanted to share my successes and talk to them about it and talk about everything. But now I'm just like, okay, I know who in my life I can talk about my business with. And I know who in my life I cannot talk about my business with. And that's totally fine. Mm. Right. So, so the way that I approach forgiveness is this, I'm just going to choose not to allow this to affect me any longer. Yeah. Right. Letting, letting go, letting go of that. And and sometimes I have, I say it, but then it comes up again (laughs) about the same situation. And I say it to myself again, you know, I'm going to choose not to allow this to hold me back. I'm going to choose to let go of this pain and not let it it hold me back any longer. Mm -hmm. I did some grief work last year and, and that came out of that. And I just, that's probably one of the biggest things that came out of it for me is around, um, around that that sort of statement. And I love that approach to forgiveness because I think a lot of people think it's like, well, I'm going to forgive you for hurting me. And for me, when I was doing that work, it's really about allowing yourself to let go of not allowing that pain to hold you back. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if you find this with forgiveness work, but it gets easier. There was a point where I would find that you you wouldn't forgive or I wouldn't forgive, you know, like long ago and not even recognizing what truly forgiveness was. But as you, this idea of letting go gets easier and easier and you're right, it'll come up again. You think, oh, I thought I solved that, but I think there's just always these triggers or something. And then the speed at which you let it go is like, a, I always say is a sign of your spiritual maturity or your emotional maturity, right? Like you're like, I'm getting this because I'm letting it go sooner than later. Yeah. And I think like approaching 
all those aspects of your life and business of as a practice, you know, people say like yoga is a practice. You never get to the end. There's no, there's no end. There's no end to forgiveness. There's always going to be somebody or yourself to forgive about something. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's just kind of approaching yeah, it from, yeah. Yeah. I know we talked a bit uh, about when you started your business, you said I had a secret business. Yeah. <laughs> Can you share a little bit around that about, cause I think a lot of people, if they're starting out, especially uh, maybe if, if you started out a creative life that, you know, what, you, you know, what you meant by you had a secret business. You might be able to relate. Yeah. For me, I think, yeah, the first few years of my business wasn't really a business in the sense of me being visible. And I'm going through a program right now with, uh, with a coach around visibility. And it's something that I've struggled with all along is being visible in my business. Mm -hmm. And, um, I definitely have come a long way. Um, I see a lot more to go, which is why I'm kind of working on that right now. Um, but I just basically was invisible. It was a, it was a secret business in terms of like, I wasn't talking about it. I wasn't telling anybody I was available for hire. Um, I think it was for me a big confidence and comfort level because I was so new at it. Um, but overall, just basically not being visible, not telling anybody and not, not saying like, I'm open for business, like hire me. And the only people that hired me in those first few years was people that were close to me. So other facilitators who would say, you know, I'm going to do this program. You should come and do the graphics. I'd be like, okay. Um, so yeah, those first few years, it was really, you know, and I've, I'd keep multiplying myself and having children. So it was okay in that time because I was sure. like having many children. Um, you know, so I didn't necessarily, I wasn't, I don't feel like I was quite ready at that time to do it either to kind of really go all in. But it's also my personality. When I do decide to do something, I give it absolutely everything I have. And it so it wasn't, I was, you know, I started this a little bit into late 2013, um, but it wasn't until late 2016, early 2017 when I decided to really kind of be like, okay, I'm going to actually build a business. I'm not just going to, it's not just going to be like a side hobby or a side thing that yeah. I do. Um, I really didn't want to go back to, uh, a job, like a nine to fiver. I really didn't yeah. want to do that with with my kids. Um, I wanted flexibility, and I had attended a conference in 2015 when I was seven months pregnant in Texas <laughs> in August or July. It was very hot um, for people all around the world who do this type of work, and I was completely inspired. and I and I took a lot of the workshops at that conference around business and. I just thought, you know, well, if they can do it, I can do it. If they can build a business doing this type of work, I could build a business. Like, you know what I mean? So I, I also was inspired by, and I kind of went to that conference thinking to myself, you know, I'm going to leave this with a decision. I'm going to decide to go all in, or it's just going to be kind of a fun side thing that I do if somebody asks me. And I left that, like I said, feeling completely inspired by and, and intimidated, of course, but inspired by all the people and 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 hearing and seeing some of the success stories of like, well, they can build business. I could do it too. Um, and I That's guess awesome. I didn't realize until like almost a few years into my business how I've always been a like entrepreneurial. And I don't think I realized how that had supported me to get to this point today. Like I've always like, like I would like, paint rocks and sell them as a kid. And like, I was like that kind of kid, but I, I didn't do it all the time, but it was just sort of, you know, occasional. 
but I've always had an entrepreneur spirit, but I never, until I came across this idea. And basically, if you want to do this type of work, you have to, you're kind of forced into creating a business because there's, it's not like there's a company around the corner looking to hire a graphic recorder full-time. There are a few, but they're very, very few. And they're very, you know, big companies um, that have like in-house people to do that work. So you're kind of forced into it. Unfortunately, fortunately, maybe. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So when you said that you, um, you know, when you started this business and we talked about a little bit around this mindset, but one of the things that sets in is this idea of imposter syndrome. Like you, you already alluded to, you know, some things that you felt like you had to have a formal education or like, who am I to do this and charge a lot of money? And how do you, what would your advice be for people to overcome imposter syndrome? Um, Cause that's something I've talked about it on this podcast before with other people. I've, you know, I've even read a book recently um, by Dr. Edith Egger, who wrote The Gift, and she's a psychologist. I think she became one like in her late 40s. And she even talks about imposter syndrome. You know, so I realized that it pops up in all sorts of industries and in everyone and a lot, not everyone, but mo- a lot of people. So what have you learned about imposter syndrome and how do we get over it? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I think it's, I'm just going to go back. I'm going to circle back to the journey, right? And I think it's something that just, it it morphs and changes. So it's going to look different when you're in the beginning stages of your business as you are in a few years. So it, it kind of like pops up out of the, out of the field, you know, every once in a while to just sort of, uh, you know, speak something not so kind in your ear and (laughs) yeah. And I think it's like when you are looking to grow to that next level, whatever that next level is like, you know, uh, changing a service or changing offering or, or increasing your prices or whatever it is, I find it just like, it pops up in those moments to say, you know, are you sure you want to charge that much? Are you sure you want to try to make this offering? Like no one's going to buy it or whatever it is. And I think it, it's like a good sign in that sense, because that means you're pushing yourself, you're growing, or you're doing something that you haven't done before necessarily. Um, so you could look at it as a gift to be like, oh, this means I must be doing something new, or I must be pushing myself to the next level. But the thing is to not allow it to speak on your behalf. You you don't allow it to, you, you recognize it, you go, thank you for coming today. But I don't, you know, thank you for your voice. It's great. But I'm just going to choose not to listen to you right now and move forward with my decision. And it feels very uncomfortable to do that. But, you know, for me, I've always said, you know, especially in the last little while is I run my business with two ideologies, experimentation and intuition. And those two things have never really steered me wrong. And of course, I do businessy things. But I make decisions based on those two things. I treat everything as an experiment. So if it works out, great. And if it doesn't, that's okay too. And I listen to my gut. So when my gut's telling me to try something, I really try to listen to it. And I think that's when a lot of imposter syndrome comes up because it's like, who are you to run your business by your intuition? Like, that's so woo-woo. That's so weird out there. Like, you should follow this formula because someone said this works and blah, you know. But I'm like, I don't want to follow that formula. I want to do it my way because my intuition or my gut is telling me to do it that way. And for me, I think the more that you 
either listen to your intuition or you, you know, thank imposter syndrome for coming and you send them on your way, the more it's, it's sort of that practice, like I was mentioning earlier about, you know, once you see the result, then that's proof that it's possible, Mm. right? It's proof, like you have the data, you can go back and look at your data. You have history, right? So like there's certain things in my business that I still have imposter syndrome around, but I have to go, no, this has worked for me in the past. Why wouldn't it work if I just tweaked it this way? And if it doesn't, that's okay. At least I tried it, Mm. right? So the more that you push through it, the more history, the more data that you can go back and look at and say, no, no, this worked for me. This, I, I did this thing, you know, oh, I'm scared to email that person because I think they're going to yell at me and tell me never to email them again, but they didn't. And that's proof that it was okay to email that person. That gives me, uh, enough, you know, Information, yeah, permission or information to then, doing it. to email the second person and the next person. Like, you know, I email a lot of people as part of my business strategy, and it's very rare that people are mean to me. I've gotten a couple over the years, but it's actually very rare that people are mean to you. Most of the time, they just never respond to you, right? So, right. um, so you can look at the proof, right? The more that you push through it, then. You know, even just like creating a list or creating a Word document of um, of those of those moments where someone did respond positively. Maybe they didn't end up hiring you, but they said, "Great email. That was it. Caught my eye." Or, or thank you for this, right? And like for me, you know, I I always think back of those times that people thanked me for reaching out to them. They're like, "Wow, this is amazing. Right. Thank you. Thank you so much for reaching out to me." Whereas you think to yourself, "No one wants me to like be in their email and, you know, tell say, "Hey, I do this service." Like, no one's going to want that. And and for me, it's like, "No, I have proof now that people actually thank they me do. and they're appreciative that I reached out to them." Right? Isn't that funny? It's yeah. completely different reframe from yeah. what you're thinking and the imposter syndrome and all that bubbling up saying. And instead, what they've probably, I can see why they would appreciate it because now they may not be a fit right now, but now it's on their radar. Oh, we have this thing that might be cool in the future, right? Mm-hmm. Like, really? I mean, there, there's all there's so many silver linings in that. But yeah. I think you're you're pointing to some really great things like you're pushing through, right? You're not quitting. You're, you're really creating a log, a victory log of all the things you've done. So you can remind yourself when that imposter syndrome pops up to go, actually, and I like that you use that I have proof of it. Yeah. <laughs> that it's worked in the past. It'll work again. Yeah. 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 And I think like making sure that you surround yourself with people that are going to be your cheerleaders and really support yeah. you because it's very difficult to push through some of these thoughts, feelings, um, and, and you don't want to hold yourself back because someone else is saying, well, you shouldn't do that because what, whatever reason, whatever belief that they have and not trying to take on someone else's beliefs as your own, right? right? It's mm. very hard to do. So like I said earlier about, you know, there's certain people in my life that I know I can talk about my business with. And those people are my cheerleaders. I know when I go to them that they're going to go, yeah, you can do that you know, you got this, you know, totally do it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've had some of those, I I can remember those people in my life, you know, years ago that said, 
you know, and it was a very offhanded, small comment of like, yeah, I believe in you. You can do that. And I'm like, really? I can, I can do it. Oh, okay. You know, Thank you. Oh, all right then. Um, and it's, you know, I've had other people come to me over the years of saying like you, that I said something to them that, in, that encouraged them to continue doing their thing. And I'm like, I don't remember saying that, you know, so I, I now look for those opportunities to try to encourage people. And I do practice a lot of gratitude and I try to put my space in myself in that space all the time. I just posted a thing on Twitter today, tagging a bunch of people, just like, you know, I said, I'm just feeling really grateful today. And thank you to these people, um, you know, and them being clients. And, you know, for me, it's about relationship building. And it's really important for me to have good relationships with people that I work with, that they could easily be my friend. And I would say some of them certainly are my friend now. And it, you know, that's the way that I like to work. And if you, you know, approach it with, with that, um, space of just trying to be helpful, you know, and being yourself, you know, you're going to get people who don't want to work with you. And that's actually really great because they're not the right person for you. You know, if you send them an email or you talk to them on a call and they decide not to hire you, that's really great because that means there was something about you that didn't, click for them and you don't want to get into working relationship, working with someone that you don't click with. Right. So, and I've actually been very, I feel very brazen these days because I straight up tell people on calls recently, this is the type of person that I like to work with. I like to work with people who give me creative control, who don't nitpick, who don't want a million revisions, right. Who are easygoing, who are, you know, fun, like that's the type of person I want to work with because I can't, I just do not, I've learned this hard way that I just do not thrive when I feel like I'm being suppressed when someone's like nitpicking every little design choice, every little line, change this, take this little tiny line and move it over here. Like I don't thrive in that because I can't bring my best self to the work. Um, yeah. And so, and the way that you see it, you're creative because it's suppressing the, your creativity in a way. I like to be collaborative in my work, mm -hmm. certainly, but it's a type of collaboration that is, you know, both sides. I can challenge them on their ideas. They can come to me with questions, right? They're, it's like reciprocal. I have the relationship with them that I can call them out and say, you you know, this is the script you have for your video, Uh I'm confused about this part. Are the listeners going to be confused too? Right? right. And, and having that dialogue is really important to me because they're going to get the best out of me and the piece of work that they're paying for at the end of the day. But if I don't feel like I'm in a space where I'm comfortable to challenge them, then I, I just am not going to bring my best self to the project. It's very difficult for me to be you know, and, and because it's such creative work, I need to be in a creative space to do it. And I guess I'm just realizing that more and more about how important that is for me to make sure that I'm in that space where I feel really good about being creative. Um, and, and I've, and I remember situations over the years, very few of them have happened, but spaces where I didn't feel supported creatively, um, or they weren't very kind to me. And I just didn't feel like I did a good job, period, end of day. Like, you did not get your best work out of me. You did not get the best thing that I could have provided for you because I didn't feel like I was in a safe space to be able to do that, right? And it's very, um, you know, that's sort of like the, 
potentially challenge of, of this type of work because you're putting yourself into it. Even though I try to be, you know, unbiased as possible, it's, you're still, it's still your hand. It's still your drawing. So if someone says, I didn't like the drawing, it's very personal in a sense, right? right? So I try to make sure that people who hire me, they see lots of examples of my works. Like, this is what you're going to get. If you want a different style that you can go hire someone else. I'm not changing my style to adapt for you. Yeah. So it's sort of like you get what you get based on like, I'm not going (laughs) to, I can't change how I draw things. You know what I mean? It's come up very, very rarely, but any of those times, it's just like, I've never actually ended up working with those people for that reason. Right. Cause I'm like, I cannot accommodate your requests you need to go find someone else. And in the beginning, it can be very scary because you feel like you're turning work away, but you right. have to stay true to, you know, how you want to run your business or how you want to do your thing because, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to get you. They're not going to get like a, a different version of you. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Makes perfect sense. Well, you've made a lot of um, really great points throughout this conversation. I think it's really encouraging for anybody who wants to start a business, wants to live their creative dreams, um, or anybody who's just trying to get through life, trying to overcome certain things. Um, you've said a lot of really great things that are just applicable in a lot of aspects. And uh, I know our time's almost up, and I want to respect that. And I just have a last few questions, uh, some Soul Sister rapid fire questions. Oh, awesome. You. Thank you. <laughs> Looking forward to it. What? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, what have you come to know about the power of being you? How important it is to really embrace who you are to attract the right people to work with. What has become abundantly clear to you? That it's totally possible to achieve what you want to achieve. And lastly, what does the world need most? I think the world needs people to be themselves authentically. I feel like that I'm answering the same answer for all three questions, but showing up who you truly are in the world. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. No more Facebook posts about, you know, you know, how many cookies you baked on the weekend, you know, real conversations. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I love it. Is there anything that you wanted to say about living a creative life that I haven't asked you about? No, I th- I think it's great. I think, you know, I have a very obscure business and I and I hope that this inspires a- any of the listeners to really sort of think about how they approach their work and, you know, I don't want to say like if I could do it, anybody can do it, but I feel like there's just so much that people can uh, lean in on if they're themselves and they believe it and the work that they can do in order to change their beliefs around things that they have had in the past, um, that might've hold them back. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 Perfect sense. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. I really have uh, enjoyed learning about your journey and what you've learned on your own journey. So thank you for your time, Ashton. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Please go to iTunes to rate and review this podcast. And if you want to continue the conversation, connect with Soul Sister Conversations on the Facebook and Instagram pages. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at Dana Lloyd Leadership, on Twitter at Coach Dana underscore Lloyd, and of course on LinkedIn. See you next week.